Welcome to the book summary of Ask Gary V, One Entrepreneur's Take on Leadership, Social Media, and Self-Awareness. This book was published in 2016 and weighing in at 384 pages. The best-selling author draws from his popular Ask Gary V show to offer surprising, often outrageous, and always useful and honest answers to everything you've ever wanted to know and more about navigating the new business world. Gary distills and expands on the show's most urgent and evergreen themes, including marketing, entrepreneurship, and management with his trademark practical timing and timeless advice. This book summary is from the website paulminers.com's take on the best book bits he found worth capturing. If you like what you hear, I strongly suggest you buy the book using the link in the description. So without further ado, I bring you the book summary, Ask Gary Vay. Clouds and Dirt. The clouds don't just represent the big picture. They represent the huge picture. The everything. They are not goals. Goals can be achieved and set aside or moved. I'm going to buy the jets is a goal. It drives me to. But it's not at the core of how I run my business. The dirt is about being a practitioner and executing towards these clouds. It's the hard work. On a personal level, my dirt is making sure I communicate well with my loved ones. That I show up and stay present. You know, the stuff of being a good spouse, parent, son, sibling, and friend. Professionally, it's knowing my craft. It's noticing changes and trends and figuring out how to take advantage of them before anyone else. Execution and prioritization. The vast majority of people tend to play to the middle, which is why they usually only succeed up for a certain level, and then they plateau. Alternatively, they get stuck in one or another. Getting so bogged down by miniature or politics, they lose sight of the clouds. Also, into the clouds, they lose the appetite or neglect the skills they need to execute successfully. Ideas are worthless without the execution. Execution is pointless without the ideas. You have to learn to prioritize properly and quickly identify what's going to move you further ahead and what's going to make you stall. Get your hands dirty. There are too many people who are the average of what they do and they confuse by their average results. Everyone has their own definition of clouds and dirt. But if there's one thing that will change the entire trajectory of your career, it's to start pushing on both edges. Raise the bar of your business philosophy. Dig deeper into your craft. If you want to be equally good architect as you are a mason, you've got to be able to simultaneously think at a higher level and get your hands dirty. The middle. If you have pages and pages of notes, but no product, you've got nothing. If you can't tell me how you're going to build your product, you've got nothing. And if you're only thinking three years into the future, you've got a huge vulnerability. That's what people in the middle are doing. The middle keeps everything going the way it always has. The clouds and dirt break things. All the best apps, companies, products have broken the way we live life. Transformed how we communicate and changed our day-to-day. Good products evolve us. They're surrounded by the middle for 99.9% of life. Most things are unremarkable. Lose yourself in the clouds and the dirt and figure out what you can make the changes, the game. Vagueness sucks. Lack of drive sucks. Half-arse in things sucks. And so does the middle. Cash is oxygen. In the beginning of any venture, it can be difficult to predict your cash cycle and know what to prioritize because everything feels imperative. Customer satisfaction is huge, as are the issues like establishing company culture, budget, marketing, and hiring. 
But there is one thing that always transcends everything else, cash. It is the oxygen of your business. You can make the greatest cup of coffee, the greatest sneaker, the greatest TV show, or the greatest work of art ever. But if you can't sell your product, you are out of business. So your first priority is sales because it generates cash. And cash is what allows you to do everything else. Without it, you're a fish out of water, gasping for breath. Focus on your strengths. So let's say you've got a good handle on your cash flow. How do you figure out what's next? Focus on your strengths. What else are you really good at? Design, growth hacking. Nail these skills down and then drill deep with them. If cash is in your company's oxygen, your strongest skills are its DNA. Develop and cultivate them because they will be the hallmark of your company. This moment when you decide what to focus on is next is critical, not only because it's going to help you grow, but also because it could be what allows you to bring more key players in. People who may not be great at selling, but overwhelmingly talented at something else. Something else that complements your own talents. Bet on your strengths. It's an underrated business strategy in a world where so many people are obsessed with fixing their weaknesses, they give short shrift to their skills they were born with. Starting out, finding a job that's right fit. If you can't find a quality company to pay you for the work for them, apply for an internship so you can prove your chops. Many internships pay, but if you can't find a paying position, consider working pro bono and turning that into a great opportunity. Don't want to work for free? Well, if you've been struggling to get a job for three to four months, it's a lot more productive than sitting around doing nothing. I mean, who's paying you to do that? Take a pro bono half day in a place where you can pick up some skills, network, learn your craft, and get your employer's attention, or at least guilt her into recommending you to someone else. Unless you are literally sending out resumes and interviewing 18 hours straight per day, you've got time to volunteer your professional talent somewhere. Find a place where you can think you can make doors open and put your skills into action. We've become too entitled. Go out and earn that job. Choosing the name. There is no science to choosing a business name. People will agonize for hours, weeks, months trying to figure out the names for the startups, hunting for the perfect, zingy, creative name and allows them to stand out and disrupt that category. You want to know how you stand out and disrupt the category. It has nothing to do with your name. Just stand out and disrupt the category. Stop worrying about coming up with the perfect name. Yes, a good name carries some marketing power. But at the end of the day, if the product sucks, the name means nothing. If you have a clever name, people might stop and notice. If you don't, they really won't care. They're going to assign it meaning based on the experience they had with your brand. So please, stop worrying about your name and start worrying about your product. Full-time to entrepreneur. If you have a full-time job, you're not an entrepreneur. You may have aspirations of being an entrepreneur and you may have entrepreneurship tendencies. But if you are born to be an entrepreneur, you would not be able to breathe for more than 10 minutes in a real job. If you've been going along fine for a few years in a full-time job and not had the urge to gore your leg off like a fox caught in a trap, you're probably doing what you're supposed to be doing. But if you are between the ages of 18 and 29 and you are miserable whenever you work for anyone else but yourself and you feel restless and you believe in your bones that you've got what it takes to run your own show, go do it. Go do it before you take on the responsibilities of a mortgage or a family, before your parents start to need you and adopt a dog. 
Do it now while the only person you have to worry about is you. Start something. The best way to become something is to do the work required to become something. Sell, sell, sell. Figure out what it takes to provide value. Learn how to communicate your value proposition. Engage with your customers. Find mentors. Go to work for free and under people who can show you the ropes and serve as a point of contact when you need it. Learn the hustle and taste the game. Put yourself in a position to win. You can read as many books as you like. Amen. But they're not going to make you an entrepreneur. What is Yoda said? There is no try, only do. Stop waiting for the perfect moment to jump, because it will never come. Start doing whatever it takes, even if that means selling the very t-shirt off your back. Be a hobbyist. There are a lot of people who are able to enjoy being hobby entrepreneurs because their joy is in the process, not in the outcome. So they make 10 to 40k on the side doing something they love, and they're very satisfied with that because they don't need to make a billion dollars to be happy. If you've gotten to the point in life when you can, can't ditch everything to follow your dreams, be a hobbyist can often give you the best of both worlds. Fear. One of the hardest things about making your dreams or small businesses or your blog or whatever you're just doing, taking the first step can often be the only thing standing in your way. Because once you start to get shit done, the momentum just carries you forward. There's no doubt that taking the first step can be terrifying. But what would be so afraid if you knew no one was watching? See, what really scares people is not the fear of failure, but the fear of failing in front of someone who matters. Like your mum or dad, your best friend. None of us wants to disappoint someone we admire. But if you want to be an entrepreneur, it's that what you really, really want. You cannot give a shit about what other people think of you, not even your parents. Taking a product to market. If you sell fax machines and your market doesn't believe in fax machines, don't try to convince them to buy fax machines. Go find the people who have brought into fax machine idea and sell to them. Because if you're too early in a business or a theory where no one's buy-in, you've lost. Apply your time and energy to where there is fertile ground. It might take a lot of work to find your customer base, but it sure beats wasting your breath on people who are never going to help you out. The right partnerships... Everyone has something to offer, but instead of asking them to do something for you, ask what you could do for them. I'm an enormous believer in spec work. I know it's a bad name, but if you're going to get something from someone, there are other ways you can pay besides money. And providing your services or your product for free is a great way to build up points you can cash in. So when you assess the 50 people you want to reach, you need to look at them and understand their vulnerabilities to see where you might get them at a discount. Now, if they don't have any of the vulnerabilities, figure out how to provide disproportionate value by listening and asking directly. Getting the first customers. To get those first 10 customers, you have to grind. You can't be shy, my friends. Just roll up to every single person in the world who might possibly buy your stuff meaning who have already buys at least into the concept of your idea or product, see two questions up and ask them to buy your stuff. The competition. Every industry has its market leaders, companies who have done a good work in the past and have become the default solution for your client base. Your goal is to become one of those leaders who are the automatic go-tos. So first you have to get over your resentment of your competition and realize that you haven't done crap to establish your brand. The way you can overcome that, in my opinion, is to deliver great work and start creating word of mouth. 
it is just grinding and going through the process. Lack of time and capital. To be a successful entrepreneur, you have to be an optimist. A lack of time is just incentive to be more efficient with your time you do have. Insufficient capital is a game to see who can find the most creative ways to get more. You don't see obstacles. You see opportunities. Optimists accept that obstacles will be in their path, and they assume they'll figure out a way around them. Which is not to say that the grind isn't hard for the optimist too. It is, they just like it. Going at it alone. Be practical. How much money do you have to stay alive, and for how long? Do you have enough money to cover rent, expenses, anticipated and unexpected, and overheads for a year? You should. Be prepared to sacrifice. The minute you decide to launch a new business, you also make the decision to do nothing else but for that next year or maybe even two years. But build your business. Every minute of every 18-hour day, you should be dedicated to this endeavor. Your business success will come at the expense of your family time, friend time, vacations, and any other hobbies or activities you once enjoyed. The business has to be your entire life or it will die. Avoiding mistakes. Here is what young entrepreneurs do ahead of time if they want to build a business that can weather every storm. Build solid teams. In the midst of rapid growth, don't lose sight of the importance of longevity. Invest in your teams. Celebrate their victories. Listen and be a good boss so that when rough winds hit, you can rely on the skills, loyalty and intellectual capital to help you keep the ship upright. Build good products. It's excel at sales. Plan B. Have a hardcore plan A alongside a deeply practical plan B. You'd be crazy not to at least consider what you should do your entrepreneur venture fall apart. After all, you've got to eat. For most people, the solution will be something very ordinary like going back to school, taking a boring day job, or moving back in with your parents. And that's fine. Education. One thing is certain. College will not properly train you to be a prime time player in today's business environment, and anything you might learn there about marketing or social media is already on the way to obsolescence. The entire market moves at such speed that even the great entrepreneurs have a hard time keeping up. Within a month of your of your graduation, there will always be a new platform, a new app, a new channel for doing business that didn't exist before. Nothing except hustle. Presence, good instincts, time, and patience is going to help you master them. And none of those things can be taught anywhere except the school of life. Family business. It's absolutely critical for entrepreneurs to have as much freedom to execute on their vision as possible. But sometimes when you're in a relationship or you have family obligations, you only give about 70% of your time or 50%. That's totally fine. Success is not a game of absolutes. You can still win. It just may take more time than you've hoped, regardless of your situation. Building the business is without a doubt a huge time for energy commitment, and you and your spouse or your partner need to be realistic about that. However, you conduct your life and business. Make sure they're both on the same page. Keep your communication lines strong and open. If you love someone, he or she needs to take a precedence over everything else, and that's okay. It just means your career might have to go to a different pace or take a different path. Because otherwise, there will always be friction between your two loves. Challenges. Family businesses are difficult because of the emotions and histories that inevitably come into play. 
In every family business, you have to create an environment where the family love for each other other matters more than anyone getting their way. Here's the thing to remember. If you're going into business with a family member you love, be the bigger man or woman. It always works. No matter what the disagreement, no matter how heated the fight, make sure to say, I love you. Those words are what keeps family businesses alive. Parenting. Parenting like family business is an intensely personal topic. How we parent depends so much on the things that are unique to us, from our financial situation, to our partners, to our family dynamics. So I'm petrified to give parenting advice, and yet I can't shy away from it, because I feel so strongly that the way we are parented affects everything we do in life, including what kind of entrepreneur we might become. Encouragement. I intend to pass the same can-do encouragement I received from my mother to my daughter. Right now I tell her, uh, twirl is the best goddamn twirl I've ever seen, and I'll spend the rest of my life applauding her efforts. And I'll do the same for my employees. I know the people I work with every day feel better about themselves than I did before they knew me. We'll hire new senior staff, and after a few days, they'll tell me that they're flabbergasted by the confidence of the youngsters working here. That's by design. Pumping everyone full of confidence makes a more creative, risk-taking environment. I don't do it to praising my staff daily. Rather, I instill in my leaders and encourage them to let it trickle down. Technology and kids. We've got to stop acting as though tech is an intruder in our children's life. Tech is their lives. Worrying that tech will rob them of the pleasures of childhood is akin to the previous generations worrying their kids will be soft because they have indoor plumbing or rock and roll will make them degenerates or that their brains will rot from too much TV. Every generation fears for the next one. But we don't have to. Our kids will be less informationally smart but they'll be interesting characters and they will do great things social media and having kids i got to tell parents that it has never been a better time to be a parent because of all the social networking tools will allow us to spy on our teenagers like never before fearing tech and eliminating their children's time on it is not preparing to live in the future Parents need to stop playing defense and start playing offense and get pumped up about all the opportunities and new discoveries coming this way for the new generation. Hustle. It's about maximizing the energy you put into whatever you're passionate about, squeezing every bit of juice out of your day. It's about putting all your effort into achieving the goal at hand, making every minute count, every single minute. A lot of new entrepreneurs tell me they're hustling. And they'll ask me if I like the last episode of Ballers. They're trying to get a business off the ground and they've got time to watch TV. It's like wanting to lose weight and sneaking away to scarf down a Big Mac. It's not going to work. You want to increase engagement around the content, raise revenue, gain brand awareness, become an influencer, sell more. Then try doing the following. Pounce on every opportunity. Create a great content and get it out there. Work towards gaining exposure. Keep an eye open to new environments and conversations. Increase the value you can offer others. Biz Dev. Wake up before everyone else and work into the night. Hustle until there's not a single drop of juice left. Small business owner with limited budget. Work more. Whatever it is you're doing, add a few more hours of hustle. It's the greatest way to shore up the gap between you and your bigger competitor. I promise you Goliath will never work as hard as you. Make cold calls, network, biz dev, bond with your local businesses, attend Chamber of Commerce events, get creative, fight, attack, talk, 
ask friends for help. This is your life. Personal brand. I'm stunned at how many people think you can just hop onto the YouTube and build a personal brand without actually having anything to show for it. You can have to know something in order to be a brand. You want to be sought after as an expert. What have you done to make people want to hear you speak? Have you accomplished anything? Have you proven yourself in any way? No. Then shut up and get to work. Don't ever think you can't hack expertise and branding by relying on social media and modern tech. There is no substitute for honest hard work. You have to execute and accomplish something before earning the privilege of being a personal brand. Financial backing. There are people out there who might finance a venture based on your ideas or loans. It's happened. But in general, those ideas don't go anywhere because they're all they were were ideas. This is why so many businesses are starting to fail in the tech space. And I'm sure by the time you're reading this book, many more tech companies founded in 2010 to 2014 will be done and finished. Passion is great and creativity is awesome. But practicality means more than current business world values. You've got to put the work in before approaching anyone for financial backing. That's what all the entrepreneurs we look up to did. They didn't pat themselves on the back just for having a great idea. They hustled and made it come to life first. They made sure the idea actually did what it believed it could. Harder and faster. You need to work harder and faster. Working harder is easy. Drop the hour you're watching Scandal and Vola. You've got more time to hustle. Working faster, however, is a little trickier. It takes a practice. Train yourself to do a little bit more each hour than you normally would. Maybe you save clicking your emails until lunch. Maybe you turn off your phone. Maybe you work odd hours. Every day, add something more and get it all done. The first few days, you may not finish when you started out to, but keep challenging yourself and you'll get there. It's like training for a marathon. It takes time, but once you've been at this for a while, you'll see that you can accomplish much more in one day than you ever thought you could. Content and context. Even as the platforms and distribution channels change, the rules of good storytelling have remained the same for business. Since the beginning of commerce, the quality of your brand's storytelling is directly proportional to the quality of its content. If it's not, no one will pay attention. What defines quality content nowadays? It appeals to the heart, has to be shareable. It's native to the platform on which it appears. It breaks through the noise, which is why it's so vitally important that everyone from big organizations to solopreneurs to small companies start thinking and acting like media companies. Sure, you'll sell liquor or tech or original art, but the very survival of your company will depend on distributing your story through your content as often as possible to as many people as possible. And not just any content, but the content that brings value to your current customers while attracting new customers as well. Netflix gets it. That's why they started making their own TV series. Creating good content. Anyone can create good content. First, respect the platforms. A 40-year-old woman is looking for something different on Facebook than on Pinterest. On the former, she's keeping up with her friends and family. And on the latter, she's probably shopping and searching for inspiration. So you have to strategize around that and adapt your story and telling accordingly. Second, respect your audience. That means putting out content for the 40-year-old woman would like, not the content you would like. Gaining a following. Put out quality content every day and engage around it. 
It is really that simple and that difficult. No one becomes a sensation by accident. The talent to put out content is only one piece of the equation. 1% of the magic. 1% of people who make it big in social media might do it on a content creation talent alone. But the rest of us have to work our butts off to bring our community in to see what we're creating. You can have a terrific idea on a YouTube show, but if you don't get the content out, you'll have nothing around which to build your community. And if you don't put in the work to engage, rarely will anyone see your content. The two almost always work together, especially in the beginning. Content and Facebook. Facebook is content awareness gold. Post a link to an article or video, and if your post earns enough likes, shares, and comments, you can just step back and allow the awareness to grow organically. But if you want things to move a little faster, or if you want to hedge your bets, you can actively drive a crap load of views with Facebook ads. It's absolutely worth the investment. Jabs and right hooks. Jab. The content you put out that entertains, distracts, attracts, informs, and otherwise engages and builds a relationship between you and your audience, it builds your brand. Raises people's awareness of who you are and what you represent, and opens people up to receiving a right hook when the time is right. A right hook. The content you put out that brings in the sale. The one that offers a 10% off, or the audit or announces the new line, or merely says, buy my stuff. It sounds so simple, but to make jabs and right hooks land with enough impact requires finesse, good improv skills, and a deep understanding of the psychology behind every platform you use. A jab on Pinterest will look completely different from one thrown on Twitter. A right hook on Instagram won't work if it's just something you recycled from Facebook. Each platform speaks to its users in a different way. And if you have to learn the language, a short scan on any platform shows me that most people still aren't fluent. Read Jab Jab Right Hook for more info. Cond. 99% of salespeople and businesses try to make right hooks feel like jabs, and they fail because people don't respond well when they feel like they're being conned. Be honest. If you're going to do something nice for your customers, do it because you want to, not because it will get you something. Too much jabbing. Yes, there's a time when there's too much jabbing. In fact, I wrote a book, Jab, 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 Right Hook, because I realized that jabbing was all the early social media practitioners were doing. Marketers had gotten so obsessed with creating perfect jabs that they often neglected to create a slamming right hook. They were swinging all the time, but they were missing their mark. Is there ever a time when you shouldn't be in the jabbing business at all? Absolutely. You know who isn't? Apple. Apple is in the right hook business. Look at the social media engagement. It won't take you long because there isn't much. Look at Apple's simple strategy. Make the best crap in the business. And then they did. And then they dominated. No jabs or engaging with customers on a one-on-one level with social media. They're just the best with their product. And they knew how to market it. The platforms. There are two keys to a success on social network. Win over the youth market. The network that makes the Snapchat feel like old people will be the next social superstar. Be extraordinary useful. Instagram was just a place to post pretty pictures until people realized it actually made them better photographers. The visual intimacy of the picture made people feel closer to the other user. And eventually the social network developed to support that closeness. 
If you're trying to develop the next big platform, create something the youth of the world didn't know it couldn't live without. Unproven platforms. Experimenting with unproven platforms is definitely worth your time. That advice goes double if you're a small business or startup. The only assets you have against bigger, wealthier competitors are raw talent and time. So use the time from 3 to 7 a.m. if you must to establish yourself on a new platforms and over-indexed there before money starts becoming a variable. You'll keep making inroads, getting a stronger foothold, and building your connections and brand awareness. Extract the value of your platforms before it adds product becomes mature so that by the time it becomes expensive, you'll be ready to move on to the next new frontier. Influencer marketing. Influencers have more power than ever because they're in a position not only to create content, but also to create meaningful distribution. The two biggest opportunities are product and retail. I could have sold steamware and glasses thanks to my influence in the wine industry. Think info commercials. Don't laugh. Have you ever got an idea how much money QVC makes in five minutes when they've got the right people selling the right product? It's a $3 billion company. Make yourself QVC 2.0 and you'll have something tremendous. What makes an influencer? You can define an influencer as anybody with a public social profile. That's it. You have 42 people following you and you're influencing with your content. You may not be the influencer that BMW needs to impact its sales goals that day. But that doesn't change the fact that you're influencing someone. Influencer marketing and product placement. Because of the visual nature of the modern advertising, product placement is at the core of the influencer executions. But when people think about influencer marketing, they don't realize just how many different ways product placement can be handled, especially when you consider how the primary platform for this kind of execution, Instagram, is dramatically maturing. I see a brand like Protein World spending a lot of money on Instagram influencers, but it's always the same old things. Good old kid is holding up the product. I think we're past that. They could be doing it much more intelligently and seamlessly. For example, forced product placements like a 15-second MTV crib-style tour of an influencer's apartment where the product just happens to be visible in the kitchen would be more honest and more natural. The best influencers are so creative. They can make the product feel totally seamless, like it's a natural part of the event. It's why GoPro has done so well. Their product is, by the very nature, a seamless part of the scenarios which they want it to be associated. Influencers and the content. When you contract with an influencer, do you instruct them to continue to make the kind of content your brand is already making, or should you let them spark with their own voice and on their own terms? This is the biggest debate I'm seeing going on between brands, entrepreneurs, and influencers. I am a humongous believer in letting the DJ do her own thing. That DJ is famous for a reason. She knows what she's doing. No brand is going to know an influencer's audience the way the influencer does. And to be honest, influencers have to bring the context to their audience for the sake of their own brand, not only so they can continue to monetize, but for the sake of making your content. It is in your best interest for them to put your product in their own context. Now, you may not like that. There's typically a huge disconnect between the talent and the decision maker on the brand side. And at the end of the day, it's your business. And you always have the option to say say no. In fact, I think you should absolutely have the approval. Stop with the excuses. 
It's stunning how many remarkable reasons and circumstances people can come up with to explain why they haven't met with success. Of course, the problem doesn't usually lie with the type of industry or job. The problem lies with the individual who can't see the opportunities when they're right in front of his or her face. Boring products or industries. There is nothing boring if you tell your story right. If you're asking this question, your problem isn't content. It's your mindset. You have to shift your thinking immediately. You cannot change your output unless you change your input. One way is to think outside your industry altogether. If you're launching a fitness app, pay attention to what's happening in the food industry, the rock climbing industry, even the hip-hop or sports. Think completely left field. The best way to stagnate is to pay attention to everyone else because they're doing the same crap over and over. And guess what? The same old crap sucks. Taking an open, optimistic attitude will keep your content fresh and exciting and allow you to change the world's perception of your boring product. Depressing content. No one ever said content had to be fun or light. You have to respect your topic and contextualize it for your platform. Though you probably can't make your content light, you can certainly work on keeping it simple and easy to absorb. Create narratives through infographics, slide shares, videos, pictures, and quote cards that get your story across without requiring people to dig too deep. Make sure you pay attention to the colors you use and the music you choose. Leadership. Everything in business stems from the top. Whether you're the boss of two people or in a three-person team or the head of a Fortune 500 company. And everything that happens in a company is 100% the CEO's fault. After all, the CEO is the person who puts the people in the position to make good or bad decisions. It's no accident that when some companies change their CEO, they go from winners to losers or vice versa. It may be the most important variable for success in running a business. Asking. One hallmark of a good leader is to ask questions. It's the best way to show your team you recognize they're more than just cogs in a wheel. Hey, how are things going? Hey, how's the news baby going? What are you excited about lately? Do you have any ideas you'd like to discuss? It's also the best way to solve problems. Don't ever start offering solutions before asking tons of questions. Why are we two weeks behind? What do you think about this issue? What do you need? And then, for God's sakes, listen. Be compassionate. Be fair. Hire people who embody these characteristics too. Celebrate successes. And when you have to be reprimed, hark back at all times. You screwed up and remember that the mistakes have everything to do with you, who you are today. Great leaders aren't born, they're made. Transitioning. Surprisingly, moving into a managerial role can be more of a challenge than actually executing a job once you get there. Not because you're suddenly delegating orders, whereas once you were just executing them, but because when anyone starts looking for answers, they're going to start by looking at you. Learn to rely on empathy and emotion as much as you execute skills so you can empower your team to become leaders themselves and take ownership of their work. That's much a harder thing to do than just ordering people around, but the end result is far more rewarding and productive. In addition, accept that now everything is on you. That means sometimes you're going to have to take the hit for the team if it isn't performing the way you hoped it would. But no one likes a boss that passes the buck to an employee when things go wrong. Go back to your team and don't pass the blame. 
and you will earn the loyalty and their best efforts. Failure. Failure doesn't kill you. And that's the earlier you do it, the easier it is to recover. It's not the failure that's so important as how well you ride after you get knocked on your butt. You have to quantify your failure. Of course, if you fail and you can't get up again, that's not a good thing. But if you've made of the right stuff, failure will just comply you to get back up and try harder. And failure from which you can recover is a learning opportunity that will only make you stronger. Don't fail too often. Don't be afraid of it either. Yes, failure is really important. Failure makes you better. Management. Management is also synonymous with mentorship. We all probably have our own opinions of what makes a good manager. But in this one man's point of view, it's the ability to reverse engineer every person that works for you and put him or her in a position to succeed at the task for which they've been hired. The quality of management is in any venture is like its cousin leadership. One of the core determinants of whether a business will succeed or fail. You want the people working with you to want to be there, to feel challenged, appreciated, and valued. People always respect and like the manager who's thinking ahead and guiding them to places they've never thought of, but they love and admire when the manager stays with them until 2am working that deck or stocking the shelves. Hire from Twitter. Go to Twitter search and start looking for the people who are talking about what you do for a living. Search the terms that would line up with their responsibilities inherent in the kind of job you're trying to fill. If you need a web designer, find people who mention web design or graphic design, landing page optimization, or any other term that might indicate that you're looking or interested in the kind of work you need done. Find the most promising candidates, click on their profiles, click on their homepage, click on their portfolio and see which ones look like they have talent. Email them and find out if they're interested in looking for a new position. Most will probably say no, but maybe one will say yes. And the other three would probably give you referrals. Interview five people and hire one. Culture. Building a strong internal culture is one of the best ways to ensure success for your company. Sales matters. Profits matters. Customer relationships matters. But every one of these pieces of your business, in fact, every piece of your business is affected by the culture. Culture is a product of people. And when people aren't happy and instead of consistently thinking of a way to get out, their work will reflect it. Wouldn't it make sense then to make a culture a priority? And given that people shape culture, wouldn't it make sense to keep it at the forefront of your mind every time you hire? Because that's how you build a strong internal culture. You hire one. A great company is grounded in great culture. And great culture begins and ends with whom you hire and how they leave. Transitioning to management. Use your ears more than you use your mouth. Take the time to understand everything that's going on in your department and listen before trying to take control. If you see a problem, let your team explain it to you what they think the problem is. And instead of coming up with a solution, guide them to coming up with themselves. That may require you pitching in, but you're not above getting your hands dirty, are you? Values to look out for when you're hiring. Patience. Word is bond. Empathy and gratitude. Pushing your team. A good boss is doing his employees a favor when he or she pushes the team beyond their limits because otherwise they never know what they're capable of. But you have to make them believe they can do it before they actually do it. 
If you want people to over-deliver, you better over-deliver for them too. Delegation. Some people don't delegate because they're positive no one can do a good job as they can. That may be true, but not every job needs your level of perfection anyway. You've got to know when good enough is enough. Let the bright, interesting people you hire do the jobs and make yours easier. It takes humility to accept that you're not as unique or indispensable as you think, but it's also freeing. Partners and communication. When you're having trouble with a partner, don't get aggressive or nasty. Win them over with kindness. Go for a drink together if you can. Build a real relationship and you may just find out they know they stink because their company stinks. When you can find some common ground and a way to align yourself, it takes some of the venom out of the situation and makes you feel less resentful. Communicate with your team, with your partners, with your clients. Communicate, communicate, communicate. Self-awareness. Knowing how you come across to others can often give you an advantage as an entrepreneur. Take sales, for example. You can set the tone in the scenario, anticipate how other people might react, and thus be prepared to address their concerns and questions even before they've been able to articulate them. It's a really valuable tool to have in your communication tool belt, and it's something I look for and admire in people. Become more self-aware. Ask people straight up to tell you your strengths and your weaknesses. These people have to be the 5 to 12 people who know you best or work with you the most. You have to create a safe zone within which they can do this, of course. No one is going to be honest with you if they think you'll make them pay for it later or if they love you too much. You also have to be prepared for them to tell you things you may not want to hear or that you disagree with. That's why you have to gather a diversity of opinions. If you hear enough people say the same thing, whether it's that you're too kind or too aggressive, you'll eventually have to accept it that it could be true. Public speaking. If you've done a good job of building your brand, there is a good chance someone will ask you to interview or to sit on a panel and eventually, if you're really good, to host a conference or deliver a keynote address. When this starts happening to you, you'll know you're on your way. The benefit of doing keynotes or talks is tremendous. You can reach a new audience you might not have encountered. Build your credibility. Take time to articulate your ideas in a longer format. And the public speaking opportunities often give you the chance to meet other influencers and cool people, as well as learn a bit about yourself by seeing how you communicate differently in various settings. Take the first opportunity you can get. It's a great experience. And that's a wrap. Thanks for watching episode 68, Ask Gary Vay by Gary Vaynerchuk. Follow us on social, search us on Instagram and Twitter at Best Book Bits and also Facebook. If you like the video, purchase the book on Amazon by clicking the link in the video description. Subscribe to the channel, give me feedback on what you think, and if there is a book you want me to do a summary on, please let us know. Thanks for watching, have a great day.